right, good morning, everybody. It's much better to hear me now. Okay, uh, it's so good to be here with all of you in person. Glad that you made it out here to worship with us uh, in this gathering. And all of you who are worshiping with us from home or from wherever you're watching from, uh, maybe you're on a trip somewhere and, you, and you're chiming in with us, so glad that you're able to take that opportunity uh, that, that we uh, have afforded just by the grace of God and by, by the generosity of this church to be able to spread that out there wherever you are. So glad that you're doing that. And uh, my name's Andy. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome all of you uh, to week number seven, week number seven of a series that we're called uh, We Are the Church, okay? And, and so we're going to get right to it. If you have your Bibles or phones, go ahead and grab those right now. Let's open them up. We're going to be in Acts 17 today, Acts chapter 17. Uh, so as you're grabbing uh, your phones or your Bibles and getting there, um, here's what we're doing. We're wrapping up this series, uh, and we've been in the book of Acts, uh, and, and so what we're doing is we're navigating this great book, and so we're uh, going to be this week, next week, we're going to wrap up the series. Uh, and so here's what I want to say. If you're new or if you're visiting, uh, and, and I just really want to recommend it, that to download and listen to all these messages in the series, okay? Because I think it's worth your time, especially if you're someone who is trying to figure out what, who we are as a church. If you're trying to figure out what is River Ridge about, and, and, and if you're also asking the question, like, what makes Jesus different? What makes Jesus different than any other religion? I think this series is worth your time. So go download it. Go to riverridge.tv. Uh, go get the podcast thing, wherever you find those. And, and I think it's worth your time because we cover all of that in this series. And also if you're here and you're a believer in Christ, and especially if you're someone who would say that you're a part of this church, that you would say, this is my church. River Ridge uh, is the place I attend and give and serve and do all these things. Uh, I want to like say this as uh, strongly as I can without sounding super aggressive. Uh, this is required listening and watching for you, if that's you. This is as required as I can make it uh, without like grabbing your something. Like, but if, I think it's really worth your time too if you're saying this is your church uh, because here's what we're answering. We're answering a huge question. What should a church be about? What should a church be about? And so we're navigating the waters of this great book uh, in the church, uh, in the book of Acts, and seeing what the very first church did, and seeing what they saw God do when they got together and they prayed for God to show up in powerful ways, and he did. Like, he showed up in amazing ways, and we want to be a church who does that too. We want to be a church that sees God show up in amazing, powerful ways, and to use us to see more people come to, to follow and also become fully devoted followers of Jesus by obeying his commands. So, so... I'm going to tell you, believer in Christ who says this is your church, this is well worth your time. This is well worth your time if you would say this is your church. And I want to challenge you in this real quick, and then we'll get to it. I want to challenge you, man, not just to listen and watch, but to actually ask, okay, now how do I fit in with this? Like, where do I fit with this community of followers in the faith of Jesus Christ to be a part of this church and, and doing and seeing people changed by him? How do I fit in this? Because here's the thing, gang. If we can get a church of people... Not just a few people, not just the leadership team. If we can get a whole church of people who are willing to apply God's word, apply what God has to say, apply what we've seen happen in the, in, in the church, I'm telling you, we will see God do amazing, powerful things. And here's what I want to tell you. We've already seen it. We are a church who has seen God show up in so many ways from when we started 12 years ago in a living room with 40 people to what we're seeing today. I'm amazed at what God has done. I'm truly amazed when I step back and look at what God has done through his church. And I want to tell you something. I hope you hear this and feel this in your spirit. He ain't done yet, everybody. He has some stuff in store for us as a church today. And I want you to be with us in this, okay? I would clap a little more if I were you, but okay, all right. He is, he's not done yet, man. He, I'm telling you, man, he has a lot in store for this little place. 
on this little corner of the map of the world, man. He's gonna show up. I just believe it, and that's my prayer. So I, so I hope you really digest this stuff. More importantly, I hope you're challenged by what we're reading and seeing God do. Okay, so let's get to it. Let's get to it. So if, if you haven't been caught up, I'm gonna try to catch up a little bit and where we're at today uh, without covering everything we've done in the last six weeks. So right now in Acts 17, where we are, we're about 20 years now past the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're 20 years in. And uh, so between Acts 1 and 17, that's where we are. And what we're seeing at this time is, is the gospel or the good news of Jesus is being spread all through the regions, like all over the place. And as a result, uh, people in all these regions, all these different countries are coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to read about today is, is God is using one guy uh, a lot, and his name is Paul, okay? And that's what we're going to study today, a little bit about Paul. Now, last week, Matt introduced us to Paul, so I'm not going to talk a lot about him. Uh, hopefully, you'll, you'll get back there and listen to it if you haven't yet. But uh, what you need to know for today, uh, what you need to know for today about Paul is this so that we can get some context. Paul is a guy who knew Jesus, okay? But it's not from what he read, and it's not how he grew up. That's not how he came to know Jesus, and it's not what he saw either. He did not see uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. He didn't see any of that. Uh, but Paul did have an encounter with Jesus, but it was about three years after the resurrection of Christ. And so now today what we're going to see is we're going to see this guy, Paul, who's been changed by Jesus, even though he didn't see him uh, in person after the, during the resurrection. He saw him three years later. Uh, but he's going to engage with a group of people who really didn't know much about Jesus or the Christian faith at all. And here's why I want to study this today as a church. Here's why I think this is a grace. It's one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts because it starts with a guy who didn't hang out with Jesus but was changed by him. And he's gonna be telling a group of people who never heard about Jesus but they're about to. And I love that because that's where a lot of us are. Right, we've been changed by Jesus and now we wanna to go to people and, and tell them who haven't been changed by Jesus. And here's what we're gonna to see today. We are gonna see a model that Paul uses that we use as a church. We, we, we haven't changed from this model. We use it when we started all the way today. But we're also gonna look at some challenges to keep that model going as a church. It's challenges we face and that are easy to disengage with if we're not careful, okay? So let's go. That's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna talk about. Acts 17, we're gonna pick this up in verse 16. Here we go. It says this, it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Okay, so Paul is in Athens. That's where he's in Athens is Athens, right? Like we know Athens, that's the same Athens, okay? And so that's pretty cool to know. And, and so where we're at right now is he's on his second of three missionary journeys that he's going out and spreading the gospel, starting churches. Uh, but he's in Athens by accident. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't mean to get there. He wasn't supposed to be there. Something happened in a place called Berea and he actually got chased out. He, he got threatened and so he was kind of running away. Uh, and um, so now he's, caught, he's in the city. He's in Athens by accident. He's waiting for his friends uh, to come and get him. And, and here's Athens, just real quick. So back then... Athens was like the epicenter of culture and architecture and art and all that stuff. Like all of the leading philosophy, philosophers and artists and the big names of those people, like all of those folks lived in there. All the intellectuals were there hanging out. This was the place of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. It was current. It was, you know, progressive. And uh, the art and architecture there was probably unrivaled uh, compared to any other place in the world, okay? And, and I don't know if anybody's been there. Has anybody been in Washington, D.C. when the cherry blossoms are in bloom? Anybody ever been there? 
there where you actually see the cherry blossoms. I lived in D.C. For, for two years, for a couple years, and I'm telling you, there is nothing like going there and seeing the monuments and all the marble the statues and all that stuff in this sea of pink leaves and the cherry. I'm telling you, it's so picturesque. It's so beautiful. And that's the way I picture Athens uh, being like that pretty much every day uh, at the time. And so we have Paul walking around here. He's kind of here. He's waiting for his buddies. He's there for a couple days, and he's walking around here. And it says this, though, is that in all of his grandeur, like in all of his splendor and all this beauty and architecture and all these things, it's so beautiful, as good a place as this seemed and sounded, for some reason we did not see Paul really appreciating it as much as he, it says his spirit was provoked. It says actually he was, he was disturbed. Like he was really disturbed. And the reason why is this, is that it was said about Athens, this is what it was said about Athens, that there were more statues of gods in Athens than there were of people. There were more statues of gods than there were people. And so, uh, you know, it was famous and beautiful and, and, and it was tolerant to any and every belief known to man. It's really interesting to think about Paul as he was encountering all of this and like what captured his heart. Like what captured his heart? Was it the art? Was it the, you know, the scenes? Was it the views, the sculptures? And all we could see is this. This is what captured his heart. He looked around and just said, this place is full of lost people. Man, it just, it just hits me. He's like, this place is so lost. They need Jesus. This is what, all he could see. He just saw through that smoke screen of beauty and the, the, the veneer of all this stuff and he just saw the place for what it really was. Lost. And so now he had to do something. He couldn't just sit there and wait for his buddies. So let's keep reading verse 17. It said this. It said, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And, and some said, hey, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, so Paul, again, he comes in. Uh, he's, you know, I just picture him just leaving the docks one time. He's like, I gotta, I gotta do something here, man. So he starts to talk. And so he goes, and he couldn't help himself. He goes into the synagogue, and he talks to the Jewish leadership in the synagogue that was there. And if you've been following the reading plan, which I hope you have been, uh, if you've gotten up to this place, what you're gonna see in the chap couple chapters before chapter 17 is Paul actually follows a pretty good pattern every town that he comes to. And it's a pretty, I mean, he follows it pretty, pretty much consistently to this point. He gets into town, he goes to the synagogues, he, he teaches and talks to the Jewish leaders because he's Jewish and he's like, you know me and he talks to them and then they convert, they start a church and then they reach out to the community around them because they are known by that community. But this is different. This is the first deviation that he makes that we see in, the, in, in chapter 17 and that he doesn't just go to the synagogue but it says that he goes public. Then he goes out to the market, he goes out to the square and he starts talking to, the, to all these people and now these, we, what we see is these two main groups of philosophies outside of the Jewish circles. These are not Jewish people. They're these two philosophies that, that come to like sort of interacting with Paul, okay? And, and it's two groups of people. One group is called the Epicureans, right? Now they followed a guy and I want to talk about this real quick. They followed a guy named Epicurus and he, he had been around, he was born in like, I don't know what year it was. He was born in like 342 BC. So he was around way before Jesus was born, 400 years before Jesus and here's what they believed they believed that everything's by chance it's all random like there's nothing like you know nobody was in charge of anything and so they also believed that there may be deities but they don't care like the deities don't really care and so it's just like their the afterlife was not just live it up now man be happy be, pursue that stuff just just be happy that that's basically what their philosophy was and then the other group was called the stoics the stoics now they followed a guy named Zeno 
And Zeno was around about the same time as the other guy, Epicurus. He was around the same time. So hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And here's what they believed. They believed like, it was kind of like, you know, like you're God, I'm God. Everybody's God, peace, love. Like, yeah, it was a, so treat everybody good because like everything is God, right? Everything, this stand is God, my shoes are God, right? So like, don't hurt anybody, don't hurt anything. And, and, and death, and so they also like, they, the afterlife wasn't really a big deal for them either. It wasn't really much of an element. It was more about living a virtuous life being a good person, okay? And here's why I want to bring this up, because here's the thing, gang. Like, if you look at that today, and you see what, like, some of these philosophies, these new age things are, gang, there's nothing new. Like, there's nothing new that hasn't been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I just want us to know that any thought is nothing new in the way of progressing human thought. I think sometimes we, like, we get a little, ooh, we get a little, like, uh, we perk up a little bit when this new thought comes, or this, oh, man, that's challenging a little bit of what, 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 you know, the Bible says, or refute God, or some new thought will shake the waters, but it's all been around forever. Like, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, man. But, but these are the folks who started paying attention to Paul and talking to Paul. So they start to have a dialogue. And what eventually happens is they say, hey, let's take him to the Areopagus. Okay, now the Areopagus is like the, the main like sort of leadership of, of all of Athens. It actually sits, it sat way high up on a hill that overlooked all of Athens. And the cool part is you can actually still see the Areopagus today. Uh, the ruins are still there. If you can look that up if you want to. But it overlooks uh, the whole city. And it was, com- uh, comp- it was, uh, made up of 30 men, 30 men in this Areopagus, and they were like the people who sort of just had the judgment of everything. It's almost like they had the last word, last say, and religious stuff, and, and pretty much everything, judgments, and all that stuff. And so he's there now. So here's what's really neat. So he goes from talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters, and, trying to, and then he goes into the public, starts talking to these like really elite philosophers, and now, uh, now he's talking about Jesus in front of the high court. And so here's what he says. I love it. Here's what he says. Verse 22. He says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said this, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. And so, so Paul starts talking to these guys and, and, and he sees, he's like, there are all these statues of all these gods all over the place and they even have one, I just find this very fascinating, that's just to said it's to the unknown God. And, and I find this so telling of people then, and listen to me everybody, people today still. Because here's what I want to, here's what I see. Even with all those gods, all those pursuits, they were literally saying, you are free to pursue whatever you want in this place. We're not gonna hold you back. You could go after anything you want to be happy. That's who we wanna be. That's what we wanna be about. Get it, you know, pursue it, whatever you want. And yet they still knew something was missing. Isn't that crazy? They, the, the top philosophers still knew this. We're not getting it. Everybody's not fully satisfied, even though they have the green light to do whatever they want. They could try all these things, and yet they still knew, listen to me, there was a void. There was a void. And so Paul used that. He used it to find common ground with them because he knew God put in them eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 said he, that God put eternity in every man's heart wherever you are with him. He put eternity in your heart. That's why you're still looking, you're still searching if you don't know the truth of Jesus. And so there's something bigger. And, and he's like, you don't know what it is yet, but I'm about to tell you what it is. And so here's what he says, verse 23. He says, all right. So what therefore you worship as unknown, this I pro- I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what it is. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So he's like, listen, man, you're almost there. 
Like you, you're even saying like we, we're, we're, there's something missing and, and I'm telling you, you're right on track because there is a God that trumps everything. There is a creator God of the entire universe. who tra- He's real, he's real and he's not a God that you put on a statue. He's not a God that you could fit in a temple. He's way bigger than that and I think that's why you still have this yearning, this longing, this statue to an unknown God because you know you're missing something. I'm here to tell you what's missing. There is a God who is way bigger and better than any other statue or temple or thing that you have. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and anything. So he says, man, does now think about this, even if there, is, if there is a God that I'm telling you about, he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't, if he's that big, he doesn't need anything from you. You know, you're going to these altars and you're lighting incense and sprinkling saltines all over to appease the God and all that stuff and, you know, laying down kebabs and all this stuff. Like, he doesn't need anything from you because this is a God who gives you everything you need. I'm telling you, that was different than what they've ever heard. And then Paul says, he goes, now, now, The time is now, everybody. This is what he's saying. God has done something. God is doing something right now. And so pay attention. And they were, man, they were listening. They were listening. Verse 31, he says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world, the whole world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul goes, here's what this God did. Here's what he did. He sent someone, he gave us someone, he gave us a man. And at that point, they knew who he was talking about. They knew he was talking about Jesus. He could not shut up about Jesus in the markets, in the public places, in the area. He couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And so he was talking about Jesus and, and he said, God gave us someone, Jesus, who was so powerful, who was so wise, who was so amazing and so great that he is the one who will bring justice to this world. He is the one who's gonna make everything right with all people, not just this region of people. Everybody's gonna be made right with this God. He came to fulfill God's plan and to fill that void that you know is there. That longing you have for meaning is gonna be filled. And then Paul says something that just stops everything. He says, and God has given us proof because he raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead, and people saw it. And I'm here to tell you, I've been changed by it. I've been hanging out with those people. I didn't see the resurrection myself, but I'm telling you, I've been around the ones who have, and I had an encounter that I can't explain myself about Jesus. I can't explain it. I could tell you about it, but you wouldn't believe me, I'm telling you, and I'm here to tell you there is a God who is bigger than anything you could ever think. He is a creator of the world and the universe and everything and you, and there is a Jesus who came down to die for you and make you right with this God and prove that Jesus is it. Now, if you're here, if, listen, if you're here and just saw what we saw about Paul, if you're a Christian, how great is that? How awesome is that, that, that how Paul said, how inspiring is it? How motivating is this to see what Paul just did? Because man, within a little paragraph, there, I don't know how long he was up there saying it, but I'm telling you, man, like he might've been a little longer than I am normally. I'm, I hope he is because then I have him to point to. Anyways, but he, he, he addresses the crowd presents the problem, gives the solution to us in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. And so here's what I wanna do real quick. If you're taking notes, go ahead and get them out because I, I wanna see three things that we see about Paul that I think are very important for us as a church and important for us in the ministry that we are called to have in the name of Jesus Christ. So I just wanna see three lessons we get from Paul here uh, and talk about it a little bit. Here's the first lesson that we get from Paul. It's that Paul was provoked. Paul was provoked, right? Like, when Paul looked around the city, like he, he wasn't uh, as impressed as much as he was like provoked by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had like speaking to him in a way to be bothered, 
to be bothered, gang. And gang, listen to me. Like, I wonder if we become immune to what's happening around us a little too much. Like, I wonder if we're just a little too accepting of what's happening around the world. And I just wonder if some of us, we need to be a little bit more bothered than we are. Like, just a little more bothered by the things we're seeing, a little more grieved about what is happening. I know that for me in my spirit, when I read this, I'm like, I need, to, I need to be a little bit more bothered, man. As a church, man, I want us to have eyes to see like, like Paul saw to, what's really going on, to see through the veneer, to see through the smoke screen. And instead of being impressed and, and, and enamored, it's okay to be impressed with, with things from time to time, but instead of being all impressed and just enamored with Hollywood and influencers and huge stadiums full of people cheering for a football team, that we see it for what it really is. That we see a whole bunch of people just misplaced worship everybody that they're looking to worship something and that's what they're like kind of worshiping and it should grieve us a little bit. We should be in those places going, oh my gosh, this is just full of lost people like putting their worship on this thing that's not even close to what deserves it and, and that we see it for what it really is, that, that, that we see people and teams and events getting more glory than God in heaven does and it should bother us a little bit. It just should bother us a little bit because it exposes the longing, the need for that one true God of creation. That we should grieve, man, we... I, I don't know, man, I just felt this in my own spirit. I should grieve seeing a bunch of people trying to fill the void with performance or prestige. Or if, man, if I just get that one more thing, if I get a little bit more of that, then I'll be satisfied. If I get that, if I get in that school, if I get, just get that job, then, then I'll find it. And, I'll, and that is straight from the mouth of Satan, man. Because you know as well as I do, man, you can get everything you want and still have a void in your life. You can still have that thing that's empty inside. Because the truth is we can only fill that void with a person. You can only fill that void with Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that could do it. Everything else is gonna lead to frustration. And so maybe there's some of you right now, right here, watching or listening, and you felt that and you didn't know. You couldn't put your finger on it, but right there, I think the Holy Spirit might have just done it for you. That that's what you've been doing. You've even like tried religion and it's not working and all these things, like maybe that's what it is. And I'm telling you, some of you are out there and here's what you need. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. You don't need religion. You need a true relationship that he came to, to put on you through what he did for you to get you right with God. That's what's missing. That's what's missing, I'm telling you. So we get provoked. We get provoked. That's the first thing we see. But we don't like get angry. We don't get like angry and be like, oh, you know, that's not what Paul did. Here's the second thing that we see Paul did. He found common ground. He found common ground. The key to this whole thing is how he approached the people. He approached the people. His approach is amazing, actually. Um, he didn't start, like, I just love it, because I think sometimes we get a little, he didn't start by being like, you're going to hell. Oh, you're doomed. Like, what's wrong with you people? Oh, your poets stink. You know, he, he didn't do any of that, man. He just, he, he didn't start by preaching judgment. He started by having a conversation with them and trying to find common ground. He said, hey, I notice you have a lot of gods around here. Do you know how much in control he had to be in his spirit? Like how just bothered he was by even just that thought? They're like, oh my gosh, all these other guys, they're, they're just like, oh, they were so offensive to him personally. But he knew that's what, not how we would approach the people. He was nothing but overwhelmed by the idolatry that was around him. But this is what the gospel does to someone. It doesn't shove something down somebody's throat. It actually says, I'm gonna present the good news of Jesus Christ to anybody who's willing to hear it. And I wanna find common ground to actually talk to you about it. Paul got on their level. He got on their level. And not only that, he even quoted their poets. He knew their poets well enough to actually quote them. And the thing is, is he, as he did that, listen to me, everybody, he never compromised. Never compromised the gospel, never compromised himself. And in short, with, with what he did, with all he did, all he did was he became relevant to them so they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly. He became relevant. And he says it so clearly. Uh, in, in, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, listen, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And he goes on to say, so to the Jews, I became as a Jew 
To the, those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak so that I might win some of them to Christ. And he says this, he says, because listen, man, I become all things to all people that by all means, I don't wanna leave this life thinking I left something on the table that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I'm not gonna compromise, but I will become who I can be to whoever I can be so that I may share with them in its blessings. I love that. He was relevant. I think the word relevant has become a bad word in church. I say this a lot. I, I do. I think it's like, well, you know, relevant. We shouldn't be, well, you know, I don't think it's a bad word. If you think about it, if you look up relevant, here's what relevant means. It means appropriate, applicable, pertinent. The gospel is relevant, everybody. Okay, like it's, it's pertinent, it's applicable, it's appropriate. And so I'm thinking the gospel better be relevant. I think, I think some Christians here, it, without me saying any of this, and you just and if you were there in Paul's day and you were a Christian and you saw Paul and you started listening to him what he said and you're like and you hear him quote the poets and you hear him sing the song they were singing they were not about God they were not about Jesus I think if you're honest about yourself I think there are some Christians that would say man why are you quoting their heathen poets man get them like what are you doing man why are you singing their songs like don't be singing Johnny Cash to them like what are you doing right like you know you're watering down the gospel by doing that you know I think it's, I don't know some people might say that about me like, you joke too much Andy why are you being so funny this is serious man like I don't know maybe I, I don't take myself seriously. Like for some reason, here's the thing. For some reason, God has arranged my life to be a punchline, okay? I, I can't, I don't know why. And so I use that man. I just say, God, just, I'm gonna use my punchline life as a bridge to someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, I don't compromise one thing in the gospel for that. I don't take myself seriously, but I take the gospel seriously. We become relevant, man. That's what we do at River Church. The truth of Christ, here's the thing. The truth of Christ will never, ever change. The truth will never change. It will not morph. It will not evolve. It can't, and it doesn't have to, because here's why, gang. The truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. And so for us, we won't compromise that. But I'm telling you, we, we will change our style of worship if we have to. We'll take the choir robes off. We'll, we'll bring donuts in. We'll, do, we'll, we'll bring candles back. If that's, I'm telling you, like all of that is on the table, and nothing, none of that is right or wrong. That's the point. None of that is right. This is incendiary compared to the most important thing. All we want is to be a place where we build common ground with people so they can clearly hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can do something with it. That's what Paul did, okay? We aren't compromising anything by this style of worship versus that style of worship or wearing hats or the lights that we do, any of that stuff. Why don't we dress up the church? Why do we wear uh, shorts and Crocs? I don't know. I don't no, honestly, like we never, it's just like, we just do because I think for some people it just helps. It helps like remove a barrier that, that might be there with people. Okay, but that's not in our mission statement. Like you're not gonna see that in our vision or anything like we exist to wear shorts and Crocs and hats. You're not gonna see that. You're not gonna see that, okay? Because here's what our mission is, man. We exist to help anybody and everybody take next steps in their journey with God. From coming to know Jesus for the first time all the way to growing and being obedient to him in your life to be made more like Jesus. That is what we want to be about. And so so we get on common ground with whoever we can. Here's the third thing that Paul did. Paul shared the gospel, right? Paul shared the gospel. Like that, that's what the whole driver was for him. He's like, I'm doing all of this so that I can present the good news of Jesus Christ. This was the core of Paul's message. It was, it all centered around it all. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Paul was funneling all this to people for people to hear the difference. Man, he's like, I want you to hear the difference between religion and philosophy and the God of the universe and Jesus, man. And so he was able to do that. Because he said, man, listen, man, like religion and philosophy ask who is right, but the gospel asks who is Jesus. Religion and philosophy ask, okay, well, what is true? And the gospel says there was a real event. It really happened. There was a death and resurrection from the dead. It happened. You can't deny it. 
religion and philosophy says, well, okay, uh, what does God want from me? And the gospel says, it's not about what God wants from me. It's, what about God, it's about what God did for me in Jesus. He said, I wanna, I wanna do that. So, so Paul laid that out, shared the gospel. And it goes on to say, listen, when they heard about the resurrection, they all wept, they all believed, they destroyed all the idols in Athens. That's not what happened. That's actually not what happened. I hope you read your Bible. That's not what happened. Read your Bibles, okay? Here's, because here's the thing. Here's what you would expect to hear if, if this is a made-up story. If this was made up, why wouldn't you say that? Oh, man, they just wrecked everything. They just got to cry. They were in a fetal position. They all believed in Jesus. It was amazing. They held hands. They sang kumbaya. This is a real story. And so here's what really happened. It says, now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. <laughs> so they were like, Really? That's where you're going with this, man. I'm out of here. Paul said, it's fine. But others said, hey, we want to hear more about this. We want to hear about where. So Paul went out from their midst, maybe to talk more about them. But this is the part I love. But, but some men joined him and believed. They believed. And here's why this story is so great. That some believed. That's why this story is great, everybody. That's why we're looking at this story today. Some believe, listen to me, not from a story they heard before, not from how they grew up or, or, or a tradition you continue or a religion that you're trying to be a part of that makes you a better person that you think like kind of appeases God or whatever. They looked and they saw, oh my goodness, that's the unknown God. Jesus is it. That's what's missing. That's the void. And they said, that's it. I'm gonna believe. And the, here's the crazy part. Because yeah, some didn't believe. But some did. And then more and more and more in the next 2,000 years, now we see, listen to me, I say this a lot because I just don't think we get it. Billions and billions of people have come to believe in him. Billions. It's amazing. So, three things we do as a result of this. Here's like, I'm going to talk to River Ridge Church folks. I know a lot of people, but like three applications for us as a church that I want to consider as a result of what we see here and the things that we saw Paul do. Okay, three things. Man, write these down or at least just remember them and know them. They're easy to remember. Three things that we are going to be as a church as a result of this. This is our application. Here's the number one that we got to be. We got to be watchful now in all things. We have to be watchful in all things. We need to be ready. So here's what I want. We, I want to be a church uh, where we are careful that we don't hold the torch of tradition over the sacredness of the gospel. You hear me? Like, we've got to be watchful in that. Tradition's not going to save anybody. Jesus is what saves everybody, okay? Like, so, so we got to be watchful in that. And I'm not saying, like, listen to me. I've said, I'm not saying take the tree out of Christmas. Don't get your kids mad at me. I'm not saying to do that. It's okay. Like, I'm a, you know, like, tradition isn't bad, okay? But, but listen, we may take it to places that don't belong where it, where it goes if we don't consider the gospel. We may take those symbols and the, the, the thing, traditions to, to places that they don't belong. So put up the Christmas tree, all right, listen, we're still gonna have communion. All right, I'm okay with wearing hats. Donuts will be back in the name of Jesus, okay? Donuts will be back, amen? Yes, they will be back, all right? But I don't know when, but they'll be back. Uh, but all in obedience to and pushing forward the gospel. That's what we're about, okay? We can't let the symbols become more sacred than the answer to life. You hear me, amen, right? We cannot let any symbol be uh, more sacred than the answer to life. Here's the second thing, that we be prepared to change. You gotta be prepared to change some things. Right, like don't, we, listen to me, I love y'all, but like even for my sake, even for my sake, I, I, we are not here to make you comfortable Christians. 
I don't, I don't, I, I kind of want to be comfortable. That's the whole point of comfort, but we don't exist to make you comfortable in what we do. We got to be prepared to change whatever we need to change so that some come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, so here's what we, here's what I mean by this. Like, so, so the gospel never changes, but how we present it may change. We got to be okay with that. All right, so, so what we do is with every ministry possible, with everything we do, we wanna be like this. With everything, like that's how we are. We wanna be like this to say, all right, God, please guide us here. For though we are free from all, we wanna make ourselves, a church, a servant to all. So that by, by the gospel that some may come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and grow in obedience to him, that we wanna do that, put everything at the table for the sake of the gospel. The last 10 words of a dying church are this. We've never done it that way, we're not changing. That, that's holding the torch of, of tradition over the gospel. I'm not doing that. I don't wanna do that. We're not doing that as a church. Here's the third thing. So, so listen, man. So, so we gotta be, watch one all, right? That we gotta be prepared to change some, but we're confident in one thing. Jesus. Jesus, it's just simply Jesus. This is our confidence. And so we, so we hold out the absolute truth of God, unencumbered man. Like we just hold that out for all to see and all to hear and all to take in and let that just rest on whoever it wants to hear. And we wanna make this as good a place to come as, as we can so that people can hear that. And we don't wanna water it down. We're not about watering down the gospel. We're not doing that. We just wanna present it in a way that you can hear the truth clearly and put the urgency and the need of Jesus in front of whoever needs him. And we believe that we could be at level with you while not compromising ourselves or the gospel at the same time. It's not easy. It's not easy, but I think that's why a lot of you are part of this church. Because you're like, no, that's where I want to be. I want to be in that mess, man. I want to be there with people. And so that doesn't mean that we're scared to offend people. I've said stuff up here that are, that are definitely not uh, like welcoming like I'm not, because I'm about the truth. I'm about the truth. But we just take the gospel. We look at the scriptures. We look at what Paul did and we say, Can we, how do we do that? I feel like that's a pretty good direction, right? What do we do with what he did? And we do it unashamedly in the name of Jesus so they can hear the truth. That's who we are. Hopefully you see some of the whys of what we do. And you see the scripture that we hold uh, to do that. So right now, I just wanna take a minute, just give us a minute to, I don't know, just have a moment with God. So I'm just gonna, you take your notes down, put your stuff down, just maybe however you wanna sit there with God and just take a minute and be with him and uh, to respond. Maybe bow your heads, close your eyes. And just sit and take this in for a minute because I think maybe God's challenging some of us right now. And I'm just gonna talk to a few of us right now in the next several minutes. Just have a moment with him just, just right now. I wrote this down, but I, as we're praying, man, I, I feel confirmed by it. I think some of us are challenged in thinking about how Paul was provoked. I think that's where a lot of you are right now. Maybe God's speaking to you about that. What are you gonna do as a result of the Holy Spirit talking to you about how provoked am I really? How, how am I doing there? Maybe, maybe you need some boundaries in your life. You know, maybe you need to put some distance between you and the world. Because listen, man, if you're not that provoked, that means you're closer to the world than you wanna be, brother and sister. So maybe that's where you need some help right now. Holy Spirit, man, I pray that you do a work in them that they can not just feel it, but they take a step in the right direction. Maybe spend more time in the word. Maybe spend more time with you so that they can put that right distance between them and the world. So we have the right eyes to see that we can grieve what's going on around us while we still live in the world. Maybe you're thinking about how Paul found common ground. How are you doing there? How are you doing there? Like, is your life a bridge to the gospel or is it like a security gate where you're not letting people in, man? God, may we be a place of common ground 
for anybody and everybody to hear the gospel of Jesus. Let us be a bridge to that. And maybe you're challenged by tradition or symbols, the things you love, and you're not comfortable with change. I don't know. Some of you, though, I want to invite you just real quick to think about your life. And I want to ask you if you've ever actually accepted God's invitation of forgiveness into your life. That you've actually come into a knowing Savior relationship with Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And maybe you're here and you heard what I said earlier, that there's that void. There's something missing. I'm telling you, man, it's a relationship with you. There is a Jesus-shaped void in your life. Only Jesus can fill that up. You can try all you want. You can even try coming to church. There are so many people who come to church and you've never filled that void in with true relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe that he's speaking to you right now, man, because he came to tell you something. He came to say, man, that he existed, that he died a man's death, but God raised him from the dead to prove that he's not just a man. He's God in the flesh and he came to fill that void that is Jesus-shaped in your life. He is your answer. He is your answer. And so he's speaking to you. He wants to rescue you. He is the answer to your pursuits. He's the only one who solved that problem that all of us have. All of us have that problem. So that's why Christianity is so different. That's why Christianity is so different. Jesus didn't come to show you how to get to God. He was God. He actually came to rescue you. He came to get you. And every religion says do, but Jesus says done. Done. I died for you. I took every single sin, past, present, future for you. And I just want you to come into a saving relationship with me to get right with God. He paid your price. The price is death and he took it. And so I want to give you an opportunity to receive that forgiveness and new life if you haven't. You need to surrender to God. You need to repent. Repent means you need to turn from your way and turn to God's way. That's a change, man, a changing in direction. And he'll take it from there, trust me. And it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And so if that's you and you're ready to do that, you could just sit, and sit there and, and let the Holy Spirit guide you. But you can pray to make this your day of salvation. You can say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making a way for me. Even though I'm stuck in my sin, Jesus came to pay the price of death for what that sin does for me. And so I accept his death as my death. And the exchange that is made is eternal life with you, God. I give you my life because of that. I surrender to you. Make me new. Forgive me. And now I will live the rest of my life for you. God, thank you for anyone who prayed that prayer. And God, help us as a church. Help us as a church right now in this moment to be provoked, to find common ground with people so that we can present the gospel of Jesus to anybody. And remember that we only put our confidence in one thing and one thing only, simply Jesus. We love you. Amen.